We're back! We're back! It's a distraction. I'm Drew. That's Roth. How you doing, Roth? I'm good, man. What's happening? Did you have a happy Halloween? Was it spooky? It was a little too spooky, Drew. I had a pretty... It was really scary. I kept thinking that I was seeing small goblins in my neighborhood, but it was just little children named Jared. Maya is my first Halloween in many years with no kids in the house. None of them wanted to stick around. They all went to their friend's house to trick-or-treat in, like, better neighborhoods. They're like, oh. <laughs> when they're like, oh, I am sick of knocking on these fucking doors. I want to go somewhere where I'm going to so- get a fucking shitty Three Musketeers <laughs> from a different colored door. <laughs> Are you going to do the thing? Are you going to, like, take a full edible and put in fake vampire teeth and just give out candy all night then? Yeah, yeah. That's, that's, that's what I... That's Good man. I, that was the plan. But we don't have time to dilly-dally with holidays that have already passed. Like we kind of... Oh, that's right, because of when... Because... Yeah, that's right. Because our guest this week is the immortal Ray Ratto. Ugh, again. Ugh. Oh, Hi, terrific. Ratto. Am I immortal? I mean, so far? Yeah, I was going to say, there's no evidence to the contrary so far. You're older than both of us, and you're not dead. That's pretty good. <laughs> well, you'd have to check with other people on that. Well, I, I will. I will ask. They may, they may feel differently about the, the quality of the life I've been spreading around. Ray stayed up a lot later and partied a lot harder than a lot of younger people at the uh, Defector team retreat. I would say that so far, I'm like 70-30 on him being immortal. Um, and I do not wish to be uh, disproven on this. Yeah, and either Ray doesn't have the 58 million maladies that I have suffered, or he just doesn't write about it the way that I write about it. And that's probably... <laughs> The latter's probably because I'm I'm the TMI king. If if my heart stops, you know. Yeah. In fairness, though, you have a better catalog than most. I do. I have a a whole colorful rainbow of diseases and permanent conditions that are just so entertaining for the masses. It's it's as if my body my body can't stop giving content to the world. May I tell a Drew story from the retreat very briefly before we begin our actual substantive podcast? Oh yeah. He's too, he's too much of a shrinking violet and a modest man to say this, but Drew, so this is, he was at the time that this happened, I don't know, 72 hours away from uh, heart surgery, which, you know, he's written about, everybody knows. Um, But he wanted to do karaoke on the last night of the retreat, which he did. Um, He performed two songs, the second of which was uh, Copacabana. It's a Drew classic. Um, Also, it's one of those songs that is like, in the way that a lot of 70s songs are, is actually like a movie treatment that just happens to have kind of like a danceable beat underneath it. Like there's a whole It's fucking amazing. Yeah, it covers decades in time. Uh, There's tragedy. There's Lola. She was a dancer. I'm not going to give everything away. Drew performed it and then... Because he had to get up at like 5.45 the next day to drive back to Washington, D.C., just ran out of the cabin and went straight to bed like Flipper Anderson running up the tunnel after killing the Giants when I was a kid. It was a real bit of showmanship from the big fella that I feel like uh, you wouldn't necessarily be surprised to find out about it if you listened to the podcast, but to see it in the flesh was really remarkable. That's right. I I appreciate it was also like that's, 8.50 p.m. when that happened. It was that's right. Great, but. Yeah, because I left after like 10 songs. I said to Luis, I said, can you bump me up in the queue because I want to go to bed? And then y'all motherfuckers did like 40 more songs. I'm yeah. like, oh, I don't know. That is, that's karaoke overload. I don't know if I could. Ray and I did a song at the very end of the evening when one of the microphones had died, and we were basically singing into the same mic like 
Bowie and Jagger in the Dancing in the Streets video. Ooh. Yeah, really, really good times for everybody there. That's great. Well, look, we have to talk about actual sports content. Ray, you are with us for a very special reason, because in accordance with Defector tradition, it's time for a belated NBA season preview. Are you ready for some basketball, Ray Ratto? Let's do a basketball thing. Oh, oh, basketball. Yeah, that is just the, ooh, ooh, now you're singing. it, yeah. I'm I'm thinking about doing it. Go ahead, man. You can do it. I think you're allowed. Okay. We're just in time, Rado, because just as we were You looked like you were passing a kidney stone. I was, actually. Yeah. That's another Another malady. More content yep. from me. We're just a medical time. textbook that you're, is true to get. You're spoiling this week's Jamboree. Let, let. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Here's what happened to my penis this week in the Jamboree. <laughs> we're just in time uh, for this preview because uh, as we were recording this, the Clippers traded for James Harden and uh, and gave up actual stuff to get him. Okay, no, the, not really. Okay, yeah. I I, I guess we should debate. Well. Because there was a first-round pick tossed in, along with a first-round pick from Oklahoma City for some reason, and I still have the football brain where, like, a first-round pick is like really important to me. Yeah. But in basketball, they don't mean fuck all if you're not picking like in the top like two. So, is they're it meaningful? Good- but it's like that trade was basically the Clippers being like anything that you want out of that bin of uh, like USB cables and broken Nintendo cartridges over there. And that's sort of like what they wound up with. Uh, Ray, why did the Clippers do this? Is it their goal to be the unhappiest team in basketball, (laughs) perhaps in basketball history, or does this make them actually better? They have been chasing something they can't have for years now, which is to get more attention than the Lakers. And James Harden allows them to maybe claim a bit more market share I don't know that it makes them better as a team because I think, one, they're old. Two, they're largely infirm. And three, it's sort of a pie fight of personalities being guided by the poor, unfortunate Tyron Lu. I don't know that it makes them a contender in the West, but it makes them slightly less uninteresting. What if this were 2018? Would they be a contender if this were 2018? <laughs> If this were 2018, they wouldn't have anybody on their current roster because none of those guys would have been available. You're supposed to go with the joke, Ray. If it was the 2018 version of those guys, it would be like the starting lineup for the Olympic team. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, they'd win 73. If it is, they're going to win 46. Yeah. <laughs> what about the Sixers, uh, Roth? Can Patrick Beverly capably fill the dickhead void that Harden is left behind? If anyone can do it, it's him. I think right? that's really where he uh, he's going to have to sort of change up stuff a little bit. He's have to start combing out his beard. Um, he's going to have to start doing the James Harden thing where you tuck your warm-up top into your warm-up pants so you look like a little kid wearing pajamas. I think that's a really uh, expert-level move. The Sixers, I think, are like... It's hard to say that this is a bad move for them because I really don't think that Harden was going to play for them ever again. And the guys they got back are like suitable enough rotation guys. We will probably have had a post up on this uh, by the time this episode runs. But there's a part of me that because I remember the process years and then the sort of psychotic retribution stage 
post process when it looked like they were really pivoting towards being a contender. I think it's a really nice capstone on whatever that circular narrative was that Robert Covington is back. Because for the longest time, he was like the or one of the signal successes of the process. I'm still remembering uh, Pablo Torre yelling at me for forgetting about Jeremy Grant and like Rashawn Holmes. That's when right. he came on, on this podcast. Yeah, on this right. podcast. But the uh, if Covington was the guy you know, who's undrafted, they found him. They you know other teams had passed on him. They made him a real NBA player. Quite an achievement. Uh, this far back, it doesn't necessarily look that cool now. You know that he's like signed other contracts and had a Robert Covingtonian career. So the idea that he's now back there and they're just going to plug him back in and nobody can get excited about it anymore because he's just a guy now. I think is uh, that's more or less where the Sixers are at. There's also a pattern, Ray, of them, you know, this is the second time now where they have had a standoff with one of their best players. That that goes in air quotes right there. And essentially were compelled eventually, after a great deal of agony and a lot of good gossip and stuff like that, to ship them out of town. And Joel Embiid is due to be a free agent, uh, I believe, after... 2025 or perhaps after this season. So there seems to be a steady erosion of all the things the process built. And I'm not seeing any titles at the end of this uh, little rainbow. Are you? Uh, I'm not. Uh, And I also don't think you're going to see them, you know, do anything in a conference final anytime soon. I I think this trade was largely so that Daryl Morey, could stop having migraines at four in the morning. Because other than that, the only thing he did was remove a personal headache. And they saved a bunch I of luxury think, tax money too. But again, it's like, I don't care about that. Yeah. I mean, it just in, in terms of, you know, making the Sixers better, I think it was a net zero because I don't think they're any better or worse. They are still, you know, the same team on the same hamster wheel you know, finishing fourth and getting eliminated in the second round, if they're lucky. I think this was largely just Daryl Morey got to be, you know, the star of the show for one more day. And now we're all going to forget about him and we're going to forget about everything about the Sixers except for Joel Embiid and where he ends up in two years. (laughs) With Milwaukee or some shit. Yeah. The process essentially has run its course. And what the process is, we're not going to win 17 anymore. We're going to win 47, and no one is going to pay any attention to us more than they already are, which is minimal. Which is, and this is what I meant by it being a circular process. That the thing that anticipated burning the whole thing down was not that the Sixers were necessarily bad. It's that they all decided, or at least you know, ownership was persuaded by a. I guess you'd have to use the word charismatic executive. The the thing to do was to stop being the seventh seed and to burn it all down and take a shot at being a championship team. They did all of that. And they're not quite a seventh seed yet because they really did get it right with Embiid and he's a superstar and a great, you know, really one of the great big men that I've seen in my life. He's just surrounded by a bunch of chumps though. <laughs> like it's sad. He is. Like the their only play is gonna be like I think Nick Nurse will devise an NBA tush push where the other four Sixers <laughs> lift Joel up to the basket uh, so that he can dunk it. I think that would be really cool. They're going to well, run a lot of plays where people get distracted by how good-looking Kelly Oubre is, and that's when they strike. 
By the way, I know that it's early to be talking about the NBA, but but we really are just in time because Friday, this Friday, marks the beginning of the first ever in-season NBA tournament, Ray. So like the World Cup, this tournament has a round-robin group stage before moving on to knockout rounds. Every team participates in it. The group stage games count as regular season games. The knockout round games will all take place over a single week in December. Now, I have some questions for you about this tournament, Ray. Uh, this is purely to get fans to tune in to otherwise meaningless early season games. Is that correct? Uh, that's probably glorifying it. Um, I think it's largely part of Adam Silver's ongoing attempt to turn the NBA into European soccer, where, where there are nine different uh, competitions going on simultaneously. Um, I don't know that anybody outside the NBA office particularly cares one way or the other. One team will be happy at the end. The others will be unaffected by this. And you will see, you know, even though they're trying to mandate against it, you'll see more creative versions of load management is what you'll see. And much of the month of November will be every bit as forgettable as all the other months of November have been. Well, so, I don't agree with you because they're painting special courts for the games. Yeah, Ray. Ray. Did you notice they're painting the courts different? So yes. if you weren't blinded by the Nets having a, a charcoal basketball court, well, I got news for you, brother. We got purple courts. We got red courts. We got blue courts with like yellow stripes in the middle. We got all kinds of crazy shit going on. I'm looking at, at the courts right now because uh, ESPN posted all the court designs. And it's just like, it's giving me a seizure, like I'm watching like a really, really frantic Japanese cartoon. And I'm very excited by that <laughs> prospect. And who uh, knows seizures better than you? That's, that's you, know that, what? you know what? That's right. That's I was going to say right, too sir. soon, but I don't think it is. I think I think that Ray's allowed to do that. Yeah, no, no. It's been five years. You can make fun of me stroking out on the on a karaoke floor. Sweet. I, I, I'm actually totally... anticipating the next thing, sort of a you know a prolapsed <laughs> buttock or a dislocated face. You whatever you, you and, got. You and you and me both, uh, Roth. Which of these courts is the ugliest? We have a we have a dark brown court which yeah. is i mean that's pretty well, that's pretty good and poopy i'm quite i'm quite excited about that we have i don't lot. care for brown and i don't care for gray uh there's kind of a lot already of that in the nba um you know so that like the idea of a you know just hershey's original formula looking basketball floor is not like nice to me but i re- the ones i don't like are the ones that look kind of like gray scaly you know where it looks like a it's like if there was a basketball game in one of the Underworld movies. I don't really enjoy, like, image-wise, I don't, like, that's not something that I want to see. The ones that I enjoy just as somebody who enjoys uh, stupid, meaningless NBA nonsense, beyond the, you know, corporate logos getting stuck in there, some of the teams have added a, a bit of business on the bottom of the courts that are just... uh sort of non-sequitur NBA shit. So some of it is, like, you know whatever for the land or like whatever and that's fine oh yeah do what you feel like the atlanta hawks have lift as we fly which i really enjoy just because that is uh it sounds like if you were using refrigerator magnets to try to come up with a united Airlines slogan like Ah. it's just complete nonsense uh and i really appreciate that every little bit of corporate dada you get you got to treasure it that's like the playoffs when like the the league hands out t-shirts with the same slogan to every team so they all have the same playoff slogan so it's like this is it 
and like they're all in the dugout. <laughs> it's like it's like I'm not buying that shit. Like every other team's doing it. That's yep. fucking pointless. I don't uh, uh Ray, do you uh like any of these courts? Do they appeal to you? Um nothing leaps out at me as really eye catching, although Sacramento has done a lot of things with purple. Yes. That, you know, sort of make them okay. I think the Phoenix court is not awful when they go El Valle across the middle of the floor. Like, yeah. you know, you know, hey, now you're bilingual. You can do that. New Orleans is particularly garish. Um, Which is, you know. Oh, yeah. It the really brand is. Uh, the, the red court, I don't like, I know that the gray courts hurt my eyes. The red court. I don't like, by the way, going back to gray for just a second, this is a non sequitur, but like there are different colored turfs in college football. You know about the Smurf turf at Boise State. Yeah. You might know about the red turf. I can't remember which school had it, but Eastern I, Washington. Eastern Washington. Eastern yeah. Washington. But then Eastern Michigan had a gray field, and that was like, uh. what the fuck are you doing? Like, at least have a color that pops. Like, what, why, why would I want to look at a, why would you want to play? On a gray fucking field, like a gray court, I kind of get because it's supposed to be like blacktop, right? It's supposed to be like playing on asphalt. But I don't play football, tackle football on goddamn asphalt. It might just it's naturally crazy. be how the grass grows there. There's a lot of, you know, super fun sites in that part of yeah. Michigan. It's hard to say. It could be all natural gray. It's nice... it's the color of glass shards. <laughs> <laughs> there's a uh, there's a deep green for Boston. With the parquet and a stripe down the center, I think that one is pretty presentable. And I mean, you know my feelings about the Celtics, so I'm I'm okay with that one. There's one. Can I just signal out one that Eric and I agree on is a spe- is a special one. The uh, Oklahoma City Thunder's one, in, in lieu of you know putting like as we jump we soar at the bottom of it. Right. They just put a, it's like a little outline of the state of Oklahoma. Um, and it's like a, a birthmark that they're daring you to re- remark upon, like being like, yeah, I know. I know. What are you going to you don't like the way that looks? You should fucking tell me. Why don't you tell me to my face then that you don't like it? It is just a weird little goiter at the bottom of the court. And I respect that uh, they're fearlessly going for that. I think the playing surface should be in the shape of Oklahoma. So yeah. Like if you like if you get cornered on a press, like you can dribble into the panhandle and then <laughs> they can't get you. And then you can do like a cool outlet pass. Yeah, but you also can't escape. Like, like the panhandle goes into the fucking into the concourse and shit. Yep. That would be fun. You can dribble uh, all the way up the panhandle, but then you have to instantly panic and take a timeout because it's just you and like a guy selling hot dogs in a VIP section under the seats. Uh, Ray, would you? I already know the answer to this. I'm going to ask Roth this question because Roth because mm-hmm. Rado just say no. Uh, <laughs> you don't know that? Yes, I do. Yeah, I, I know you. I've worked with you for. Two years now? Hundreds. One? I, I know you like the back of my hand. I do. <laughs> Roth. Uh, which, which is what you're going to get if you keep this up. Everybody calm down. Roth, I will totally watch the knockout round games of this tournament. Will you? Uh, I don't have a really good Ray invitation, but no. Uh, I mean, I will. I will watch a little bit because uh, I, I mean, this is like my brand on this podcast is that I will forever keep drinking that garbage. It's all I know. Uh, I think that... The attempt to get people to watch basketball in November is, I guess you'd have to call it noble. Like, it's better than not trying, I feel like, as a baseline thing. 
Otherwise, like, no, why, you know, I don't really care that much. I'd watch them. I'd be as likely to watch a basketball game in November as I would otherwise be, which regrettably is extremely likely if there's nothing else going on in my life. The idea of trying to build the tournament structure, like the attempt to sort of engineer some significance onto it, to me feels like completely doomed. I know European soccer leagues do this, and Ray would know more about this than me, but it's like, you can't have a tournament where it's just the same teams. Like, that's just called that's the regular true. season. Like, it's not, I don't understand. It feels like they didn't think it through often enough. Yeah, like, you have enough. to pull in, like, Greek teams, like Panipakopoulos and stuff like that. Like, that's how I would, would love that shit. Bring in some team from, like, like in the Puerto Rican League where the whole offense runs through, like, Rondé Hollis Jefferson. Yes, like, that is exactly what I would like. Like, I, I want to say that it doesn't mean anything to me, these games, but, like, if it's a Tuesday night in December... And I'm turning it on, and it says tournament game, and there's a special fancy court that they're playing on. My brain will absolutely be like, fuck yeah. It's like yeah. watching like a shitty bowl game in December. Like, I am in. This is you and me just having dogs' brains, though. Yeah. Like, this is like being like, oh boy, I'm outside. Like, that's just basically how we're going to respond to this. Not like regular fans. They're much more shrewd and discerning. Yeah. Raw. So, Ray, what do the soccer leagues do to make this shit work? What they have done is basically make it so that your season is a success if you win a trophy because there are only few teams that can win the big trophy and you have to sort of fight if you're all the other places for two things not to get relegated and to win some sort of hardware and if you win some sort of hardware that's considered a good year and your coach doesn't get fired till game eight of the next year sounds like a system that works it's a system that works for them I mean, because they're used to it. I mean, the the flaw with this, and I will watch the knockout games only to see if the players care more than they would about your your average November game or early. Well, they get, yeah, they get a bonus, right? They get money if they win it, right? They, they all have money. There's not yeah, enough money to make them motivated on their own. Yeah, but they like extra money. We all like extra money. Even like if you had a billion yeah, but that, dollars, but but that extra money is sort of tip money for them. They'll take it, but they get they'll get fined as much if they get a technical. So <laughs> yeah. if you wanted to make it, if you wanted to get them to literally care intensely about this, make them put up their own money. Everybody <laughs> puts in a, a million, and the team that wins gets all of it. So all of a sudden, now you're getting 20 times, you know. There's 450 jobs in the league, so that's 450 million divided by 15 guys. They'd kill for that one. That's actually an incredibly good point, especially knowing that it's another guy's money, too, I feel like is a big NBA brain thing. It's why, like, every few years there's, like, some story about a card game that they, you know, has been going on on a team airplane for a million years. And everybody's, like, people have lost cars and homes and spouses yeah. to it. <laughs> like, that, it feels like this is, that is 100% priming. Uh, and that's that just point. Gilbert Arenas. <laughs> oh, hey! Thank you. Thank you very much. Ray, can I ask you a question? Because we worked a Sunday shift sometime back, um, and there's a British tournament, and I don't remember which one it is that is it's like teams from the lower divisions playing up against teams from the upper divisions and every now and then a third or fifth division team will win a game or two against an actual premier league team the one that you wrote about was a team from like 
a fishing village and after they won all the players put on fish masks and stood at the middle of the field like crying and hugging each other what is that event called and how can we do it here what would be involved um, in that the, well actually the one that i think you're referring to was when luton town yes all right i promoted they 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 won a share of the what they call the championship league mm -hmm. and they got they got promoted to the premier league with this tiny little stadium in the middle of town where you actually walk get walk off the sidewalk you go 10 paces and you're in the stadium and it's you know it was it was remarkable because in the game one of the Luton players collapsed and they thought he had some sort of a heart problem and they showed shots of him in the hospital watching the end of the game with tubes up his nose and his family by him trying to decide, do we celebrate or will we kick a wire out and kill him? Yeah, this is, so how can we make this happen for the Fort Wayne Mad Ants, I guess is my question. We don't have to answer it on the podcast. It's just something I think we should all think about. Okay. Then I won't answer it. If well, you got you're, roping, answer, you're roping college basketball teams, right? I mean, that's the only thing you could do. But you, but a college basketball team would get annihilated by yeah. an NBA. Oh, it would. It would. You'd have to. It would have to be with with good foreign teams, good good European teams, like yeah, you know, like Real Madrid or Panathinaikos or you know Maccabi Tel Aviv. You know, play, you know teams like that. Teams with like a chain smoking point guard who's five eleven and is named Milos, but is like actually a real nifty passer. I don't think yeah. they'd win any games either, but I would love to see some Euroleague seasoning yeah. added to the early NBA. In I fact, would just like to use Ray's uh, mention of Luton to make a reference that maybe two people on the pod listening to the podcast will get. So I'm going to make that right now. I want you to fly this plane to Luton. Okay. You guys didn't get it, but that's okay. No, I got it. I know oh, exactly right. what that was. Take this plane to Cuba. All right. Uh, yeah. we, we have to take a break. We will actually get into the, the teams themselves when we get back. But before we go, I just want to note that this week's episode is brought to you by X. Sure, it's losing money, but that's the cost of freedom. Join X today, and Linda Yaccarino will send you a flower emoji. We'll be right <laughs> back with Ray Arado. We love Linda. You know, she's very talented. Hey, it's Drew, and we're sponsored this week by Caldera Lab, who create great skincare products that make it easy to stick to a skincare routine. Fall is here, and it's about to get busy during the holidays, but don't let that stop you from sticking to your habits and being the best version of yourself. That's where our friends at Caldera Lab come in. These guys are the best in the skincare game, and with an easy routine, keep your face looking good no matter your schedule. Caldera Lab creates high-performance men's skincare products, and the regimen leads off their product lineup a twice-a-day routine to transform your skin. So join the other 100,000 men who trust Caldera Lab to show your best self and first impression this fall. Plus, it's a great gift. I know because I use their stuff. I really do. I use the serum and then also the ultra-rich face cream that I put on. And I, it's the first time that I actually have cared about skincare for my face. And I love it. I look like a movie star because I am one. Just for our audience, we have an exclusive deal. You're not beating this offer. Use distraction at calderalab.com and get 20% off right now. That's 20% off with the code distraction at calderalab to make an unforgettable first impression with the best gift this holidays. 20% off at calderalab with the promo code distraction. 
And we're back with Ray Rado talking NBA. Let's get to the teams, Ray. I only want to talk about teams that are different from a year ago and the Nuggets and the Lakers. But first, let's talk about the San Antonio Spurs who drafted Victor Wembanyama, who goes by Wemby in our Slack. But I'm thinking about calling him Yama Yama, just experimenting with mm. that. Ray, when can I expect the Spurs run of titles with Yama Yama to begin? Um, Three years. Because what we've seen so far is that while he is, he's amazing to look at, he doesn't have enough around him. They had a game where they were down 40 almost the entire night. And they're going to be, they're going to provide a, a fair amount of those. I suspect that they will not win another title in the Greg Popovich era. Oh, you think he's done so before? I think he I, I think he he's got three more years in him. I think he likes doing this, but I think at some point he's going to say, you know what? I'm pushing 80. Yeah. What am I doing? Mid 70s. Like yeah. he's 74. Okay. Yeah. yeah, that's pretty fucking old. Pomona College legend Greg Popovich, by the way. People don't know about that. I mean, I, I still think he's he's sharp, but I think, you know, at some point, you know, getting on that charter, you know, starts to get wearisome. Yeah. You know, oh, good, more airplane food. What could be better than that? He's got the thing, too, where he's like a person, like he's an interesting adult who has things that he's interested in. Wine. He likes wine. He likes wine, but I think he's like, you know, pays attention to the world. At some point, like, telling Jeremy Sohan to do something is going to be like, maybe you just want to read a book instead. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's amazing. If he's not there yet, maybe he never gets there. Like, I don't know what Hubie Brown's inner life is, but he will fully die behind a microphone and be happy at that moment. So maybe Pop wants to do this forever too, but it's not, uh, I raise right that they're not close to being good yet though. I don't, think. I mean, I, I, I think they're, they'll, they'll win 38 games this year. Then they'll win 43. Then they'll win 52. You know, they just have to, they've got to build everything around him. The value of Wembenyama is that they now have something they can build around. But then you've got to find the right number, the right pieces. And the one good thing about what Popovich does is he can players from around the world. He's not sort of sentenced to, well, if I'm picking 11th, you know, what, you know, what Clemson point guard do I have to take? Right, right. You know, I, yeah. I think he he was one of the first to to go overseas, and I think he's more willing to do that than than some teams are. So yeah, they they excel at player development more than other franchises do. Yeah. They've also uh, done, I think, a lot of stuff. They're not as bad to watch, given how shitty they were last year. They have supporting guys that I think make sense around Wembenyama. They had them before they had Wembenyama. That I think like Devin Vassell and stuff. Like they're good players. It's just one of those things where there's there needs to be another guy that scores a lot or that does some of you know the things that Wemby can't do yet. But they don't need it yet. You know, it's not a rush, and they didn't have to mortgage anything. They need to develop a team personality as well as as well as a Wemby personality. The one bit I would add to the Spurs thing too just uh because it would be weird if i talked about like jeremy sohan and devin vassell as much as i talked about when Benyama. he is amazing to watch like already he doesn't really know what he's doing just yet like he's on defense oftentimes standing in places that i have no idea why he's standing there it's like sort of a early days video game thing where guys would just run to the baseline and jump up and down for no reason that said he 
has done stuff to fix the mistakes that he's made during games just in the little bit early that I've watched that I fucking cannot believe I am seeing with my own eyes. Uh, Obviously, anybody that is listening to this podcast is familiar with him and does not need my recommendation to check out Victor Wembenyama. He's really something like he's incredible. Um, I love watching him block three point attempts on closeouts when he's like been crucially badly positioned as a result of not knowing what he's doing. He's uh, making and fixing mistakes from one moment to the next that I've never seen anybody make or fix. It's cool when they live up to the hype and they do it very, very quickly. That is cool. Roth, the Mavericks extended new arrival Kyrie Irving for three years this offseason. Will Kyrie have thoughts on the Gaza invasion? And for how long will he be suspended for having them? (laughs) This is is one of those things where the stop clock being uh, right every now and then. Kyrie's been like on the right side of Palestinian rights um, in the sort of like accidental way that Kyrie ever winds up being on the right side of things. I do think uh, he may have achieved a more global perspective um, through searching his own name on Amazon Prime at two in the morning and then watching YouTube that could uh, lead to his I don't know, banning from uh, American culture. I don't look forward to hearing those views. I do look forward to not having to talk about fucking Kyrie Irving again, though. So, uh, you know, you take the good with the bad. We had Bomani Jones on this podcast, and he predicted the last time Kyrie had open thoughts on the Jews that Kyrie would not (laughs) step onto an NBA court again. That proved incorrect. One of the rare times that Bomani was wrong. So I don't know what Kyrie Irving will say. He's like Trump, where he says something lucid once every three months, maybe, where you're like, oh, wow. Wow, he's right. Heartbreaking. The worst person you know makes a good point. Yeah, but the rest of the time, he's just out there being like, you know, they don't give you, when they give you the salad, they don't put croutons on it anymore. (laughs) Why don't they do that? That's the best part, the bread salad. Ray, the Golden State Warriors added Chris Paul this offseason. Was that a good idea? It was, but not necessarily for the reasons everybody thinks. Because it's not so much that they added Chris Paul as much as they got rid of Jordan Poole. Yeah. Who just what he wasn't sort of a not an emotional fit, but so, sort of a you know he he wasn't he didn't play with all the other kids in the clubhouse well, and I think they just were done with him. And I when I say they, I'm I'm including most of the players, and I'm not even bringing up Draymond Green. I think you just did though you did I did, but I wanted to make it clear, and it wasn't about you know him throwing his face at Draymond's fist. It was the fact that he never seemed to get with what had been a very well-established program. And that would they have reached the point where the most important thing is making sure that Stephen Curry gets as many runs at one last title as he can manage until his contract runs out in three years. Or, or his ankles collapse. Yeah. Well, you know, his ankles have held up. All the other parts of him are starting to show signs of age. But I I think that, I think Chris Paul, you know, he will go along. He won't have a problem coming off the bench. I think they'll be slightly better. But I think the, the, the key for them is, you know, how much better they can figure, figure out how to make Clay Thompson. And whether or not Jonathan Kaminga can become the kind of center they want him to be, which is a guy who doesn't need the ball a lot, but will rebound, change shots, and set high pick and rolls. 
Um, if he does that, all of a sudden they don't have to play small against everybody, and they can still shoot better than anybody any other team from beyond the arc. So I think Chris Paul, by addition as well as by subtraction, makes them better. Do you think that all of those ifs that you just outlined outlined, do you think that they are more likely than not? No, because I still think Denver's really, really good. Yeah, they seem better. Ah, uh, yeah. Somehow. Okay. But I think they're in that two to four group now rather than that four to six group. I think they've, you know, because the Western Conference is pretty stratified. I don't believe in the Lakers as a long-term option just because, you know, LeBron is 56 years old now. But I think the, I think the Warriors, if they stay healthy, and if if Jokic you know wanders off into the into the woods, I think they can be a factor. I don't think they're the best team. I think Denver's the best team, but I think the Warriors are very much part of that next group. Do you think Denver's better than they were a year ago, or the same? I think they're slightly better, but only incrementally because one more year of them figuring out Jokic and Jokic figuring out them can only help. Yeah, the so much of that two man game, the Murray Jokic one, it there I mean again, whatever, we're going off five NBA games played this year or something like that. They seem to be incorporating Aaron Gordon into it more, which is exciting. And I think that for a team that you know, they did lose some crucial bench guys, the people that they've replaced them with, these incredible, weird, like string bean zoomer guys that are, you know, twenty one year old Peyton Watson types. Like, again, early going, they look incredible. Like, they actually look like they have a defensive identity. I think that there's, like, players are going to have to get better. But they're, for a defending champion that lost two crucial rotation guys, they sure don't look worse. And they looked, I mean, like, last year was kind of, I mean, it's easy, I think, in retrospect to forget that this is the case because they had a difficult time in the postseason until they didn't. It was like one of those, like, 2018 uh Red Sox World Series runs like they were the best team in the NBA all season long. And then they just romped through the playoffs and through the finals and won it like it is very, very rare to see a team go wire to wire like that and then somehow not get worse. Like, I wouldn't bet against them winning it again. Like, I wouldn't feel confident in that. This is normally the part where I would say that the Grizzlies are uh, a potential uh, dark horse in the West. But we've been saying that pretty much ever since John Morant got there, and they added defensive irritant Marcus Smart this offseason. Is that enough to get them over the hump, Ray? Or is Jaws sort of ongoing saga of turdery going to derail them no matter what happens? Well, we know that without them, they stink. Without without John Morant, they are, they are not a good team. No. So when he gets there, and I'm not, I'm not the behavior monitor, but the NBA, you're, not? A, you're a sports writer. That's your job. Oh, well, I'm sorry. I prefer your, chaos to behavior. But the NBA is going to be looking at him hard for anything. So he, ha he has to come to grips with the fact that he's got to suddenly play in the middle of the fairway because Adam Silver can't wait to, to bang him again. So if he's if he's right... I think they could be the prototypical tough out in the playoffs. 
but not good enough to, to go all the way. And if for some reason he gets it into his head that, you know, he's got a rage against the machine, they'll go 26 and 56. Yeah, because he is suspended. For people who don't know, he has been suspended for the first 25 games of the season. That's not a small amount. Like, that is, in the West, that might be enough maybe to harm their playoff chances permanently, although there's a play-in tournament now. So. They have other issues, too. They're going to be without Steven Adams all year. There's just, like, they're not, this is a, it feels like an in-between season for them. I feel like it's still important to see, like, if Ja can be normal for a whole year, you know? Like, and if there's some other Instagram Live-related um, infraction, then it's like you have to sort of downgrade their future prospects by, you know, a significant amount. I'd love to see him be able to stay on the court. I really like watching him. I mean, yeah. it seems like yeah. he's had his issues as a young person, but like, I, you know, nobody was paying attention to me when I was 24, and I am thank God every day for that. Oh, because right now we're at the point with Ja where, you know, there's sort of a new sort of long panic read about him every few weeks or so. And you have to sort of parse it to see if there's actual details in there instead of like, well, sources say that he and his barber are a little too close. Right. right. There's that ESPN had a story that was asking like basically like local small business owners, what they thought of him, which is not, I mean, he only tipped 18%. What a dick. Well, and then they also pinned it on his dad. Well, it's always the dad. Yeah. The other thing is dad's, dad's a bad influence. Does kind of seem like he has an annoying NBA dad, but that's there's plenty of annoying NBA dads out there. They're you know? all yeah. annoying. They're, yeah. all, they're all fucking <laughs> psychotic. Let's talk about the team uh, that dealt Marcus Smart uh, to Memphis. Our producer Eric Silver's own Boston Celtics, who lost Smart, but have added Kristaps Porzingis and Drew Holiday to their roster. Uh, Ray, will they still choke like dogs in the playoffs <laughs> anyway? Yes. Okay. All right. We we've talked <laughs> enough about to you. Celtics. No, I, now, I I think you know, Drew Holiday is a great piece two years ago, but now he's got some miles on him, and I'm never going to believe in Kristaps Porzingis because as many places as he's been, as the next you know, magnificent European, it's never happened, and at some point you are what you've said you are, so I think they're going to be. They'll be a conference finalist, but I don't look at them and say, yeah, they're better than Milwaukee. I, I just, I don't, I don't see it. That's the issue for me is I don't think they're better than Milwaukee. I think they're better, you know, certainly than they were down the stretch last year. You're right about Holiday. I do also think he's like a really, really excellent player who fits even in a somewhat diminished version of himself, what they need. Um, and he, you know, isn't going to demand the ball, isn't going to, like, get in the way of, you know, Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum. The issue there is that, like, Jalen Brown got in Jalen Brown's way down the stretch last year. Jason Tatum was worn out. And I think in terms of making sure that these guys have any tread left on the tires by the time the postseason comes around, that, like, Porzingis, this is something that I, uh, this is an intrusive thought. It is not analysis it should not be taken as such. Please do not administer this in an analytical way. I'm going However, to do, I'm going to absolutely take it as analysis now. Do I'm not take it, it as it analysis. analysis. Yeah. It reminds me of Keith Van Horn. College Keith Van Horn or pro no, Keith No, the Van pro Horn. Keith Van Horn, which oh. I cheered for the pro Keith Van Horn. He was a very useful player and in some ways like an admirable player. It's just, 
I feel like the value of a decently empty 20 points and a couple of blocks or whatever, which Porzingis is a much more useful defensive player than Van Horn ever was, is like more or less at an all-time low. And I don't know that as a second option, if they're in like a nightmare scenario like they were in the playoffs last year, obviously, you know, whatever. Let's see, you've got a uh, Jalen Brown plus Chris Tapps Porzingis team on the floor struggling to keep up, you know, in diminished form with some other, uh, you know, playoff team. I don't like their odds better than I liked last year's. Like, it's just, there's still, I'd want to see Jalen Brown get a lot better I think that's the thing that gets them past Milwaukee. I don't think that it's it's going to be internal improvement, not somebody that they're able to bring in. Well, let's talk about Milwaukee because they got Damian Lillard. The Miami Heat did not. Uh, will the Heat still make the finals anyway, Ray, or are the Bucks <laughs> now a super team that cannot be fucked with? Um, well, the Bucks are not a super team because you're still looking at 34-year-old Damian Lillard. But the fact mm. that Miami— But he's so cool. Oh, no, he's yeah. great cool. I mean, I, I yeah. will watch him— I will watch him play in the play-in game if, if that's how it happened. I, I never miss a chance to watch him. But I think Miami is no longer the weirdo destination that it used to be. And I think the magic of Jimmy Butler starts to wear after a while. And I think we've reached that point. I think I think more, more than Milwaukee becomes the team you don't fuck with, that Miami may not make the playoffs. I think they are. They look bad, but you think like they're bottoming out? I I think they're about, they look like an 11th or 12th place team. I mean, there are three teams that are worse than everybody in the Eastern Conference. And I don't think they're one of them. I'm expecting Luis's face to just show up in a Zoom bubble. Like just barging into the pod, but yeah, I mean, uh, yeah. I definitely, I definitely know that Washington is is one of those teams, but you know, just Speaking of teams with bad courts. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but they just, haven't really gotten anything right. But Butler and Spolstra, I, I think I have a hard time imagining them allowing the Heat to go into the shitter, and they go, they would drag them to forty-one excruciating wins in a playoff spot. Like that just seems to me like. That would be the end game for like that would be the that'd be rock bottom for these Heat before they they moved on. They're too gritty to just lose sixty games, right? That's what. No, I, no, no. They're not going to lose sixty. They're going to lose forty seven. Mm. That's what it's going to take to miss the play in tournament in the East. I think you can't be the overachieving eight seed forever, and at some point the bill comes due, and you start looking at Tyler Hero and going. You know what? Nah, it's just empty calories. I mean, they worked hard to try to move him. And the fact that they didn't has to suggest to him at some point that he should not send his laundry out. And guys <laughs> who start looking around for where am I going to be at the trade deadline don't tend to ball out the way, you know, Eric Spolster is used to. I think this is a retrenchment year for them. And that retrenchment may include figuring out a way to move on from Jimmy Butler. Ooh, could they move him at the deadline? James Harden just got moved. There's no such Yeah, but James Harden always gets moved. He gets traded every other fucking week. Yeah, but he but he should be untouchable by definition and he got moved. Yeah. Russell think, Westbrook is supposed to be done. He's been moved 3 times. There is no untradeable player in the NBA. It just it 
you just keep working the phones day after day. You will find a general manager with a bad hangover who's tired of hearing you, and they'll just do a trade for three second round picks and a conditional just to get you off the phone. So yeah, I think they could, sure. I do like that the NBA has trades just for trade's sake. That's always that's always a lot of fun. Yeah. Drew was talking about how he was like staying up waiting for something interesting to happen at the NFL trade deadline. And you picked the wrong sport for that one, man. This is this is where you really want to be. Yeah. The idea of watching a D lineman get traded for a sixth round pick is a it's a different sort of energy. Yeah, but my team needs a quarterback and is probably going to acquire one by the end of today. And everyone will know by the time this podcast is happening. It won't be Tom Brady. It'll be a McCown. There's always a McCown out there somewhere. Luke. Gotta get Luke McCown. It'll be like it'll be like the corpse of Nick Foles or something like that. But it will it will happen and, and that is what kept me up. Let's can talk you, about Can I put you on the record though? Just is there a sentimental favorite? Is there a, who do you want to quarterback the Vikings the rest of this year? Is it just I'm, Jaron Hall? No, I mean the ideal is Brady, right? Like, I mean that's obvious. Yeah, right? I think he's busy. But, but he, yeah, I think he. I don't think he's good. And then so then, I, I mean, I think the best alternative after that is like Kyler Kate. Murray if they force Arizona to pay all of his contract and they don't they're on the hook for any of it. But that's Ooh. not going to happen. Yeah, getting so, Mikey Bidwell to do that is otherwise you're talking yeah. about you know you're talking about guys like Andy Dalton, Jameis Winston, Colt McCoy maybe Mac Jones, who like has been absolutely destroyed by his own coaching staff. So, you know, I, I'm not seeing, I'm not seeing a great end game here. And, you know, I'll write about what happened to Kirk, uh, you know, for Thursday, but you know, I'm, it's a shame. It's a shame because they, they really, they, they clawed out of a fucking toilet to get to four and four and then beat the ever loving shit out of the Packers in Lambeau. And then it ended with a bad step that was the same thing that Aaron, happened to Aaron Rodgers in the first week of the season. So that's not fun. It's not fun to have that happen. And yet a year ago, you would have been delighted to have him blow out his Achilles. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I he mean, it's done real, it himself. It is, it is pure monkey's paw shit, and that's the way it was always going to go down. Let's talk about one more team, the Phoenix Suns, Ray. They got Bradley Beal. They got Grayson Allen. They got Yusuf Nurkic, whose name I probably just mispronounced. And oh, yeah, they got him. Oh, nice. And they added Kevin Durant. Are they a super team or are they going to do shit that the Phoenix Suns usually do? They're, if it's not the Warriors as the second best team in the conference, it's Phoenix. Um, Kevin Durant, for whatever weirdnesses he has when he's on social media, is still a phenomenal player. I mean, essentially unguardable, even at his age. And Devin Booker is still a wonderful player. Um, they, they're as well-positioned as anybody. They just have to stay healthy. I mean, Nurkic is a useful piece. Um, I don't know about Bradley Beal because my theory has always been that if you're on a bad team long enough, your body parts start falling out of your sleeves. <laughs> and I think his many years in Washington may have diminished his value through no fault of his own. You're just, you stand in a cyclotron, eventually you'll get radiation poisoning. Yeah, I think that's I think that's a fair assessment of the Wizards. Yeah. I've always found that like in a bad enough organizational setting, it's really hard to evaluate whether a player is good or not because they're just inside of that dense fug of uh, fragrant mediocrity. 
Beal, I always thought was pretty good. I haven't thought about Bradley Beal as a basketball player in five years, and I probably haven't watched him in roughly as long. And so, and he hasn't done anything with the Suns yet. And so there's this sense of, I don't know, I am skeptical in the way that I think every Mets fan is skeptical of an organization telling you, you know, that like when Noah Syndergaard comes back, it's going to be like, that's like our big deadline acquisition. You know, he's going to be there from September on and stuff. And at some point when, uh, you start losing the ability to be healthy enough to play sports at a professional level. You don't get it back. Yeah. I just flash back to when Washington had Beal and John wall and they thought they were set for a decade and it turns out they were set for about 70 minutes. Yep. And then it went all the crap. The Wiz were always great at that. They would get a couple of guys and then they would start making moves like they were fine tuning a championship contender. And they're just sort of like, well, this is it. You know, like we want, we got Karan Butler and Anton Jameson. It's basically a matter of like arranging the, you know, the rest of the team around them. And then that's not how you do it at all. Yeah, it was very, it's very Ted Leonsis and it continues to be, even though they have a new GM. So that's very exciting. This has been a very good NBA preview. So good. We're not even going to bother to pick a champion because, uh, you know, that's sort of rote and predictable, and we're just going to get right to the fun bag. I'll pick one. The fans are the big winners. Oh, oh yeah, because it's true. a great season of NBA action coming their way. And you know and what? In season tournament. You know, let's say China. China will be a big winner because I'll be very excited <laughs> by all the stuff that's happening. Uh, time to open up the fun bag. These are real questions from defector readers and distraction listeners. We only have one time for one, but it's a good one, Ray. This is from Joel, not Embiid. What are some of the crimes committed by athletes that you still can't believe and are shocked to re-remember happened? Let's leave out the DVs and DUIs as well as some of the sundry murders and focus more on things like 2003 Cy Young runner-up Esteban Loiza getting caught trafficking 40 kilos of cocaine. I don't know why, but I think about this every six months or so and have to Google it just to make sure I didn't make it up. Ray, can you remember some crimes with us? What crimes stick out in your brain that you like to remember? What are some good crimes, Ray Ratto? They did a Jimmy oh, Glick voice there. It actually worked I, on Ray. That's I great. Still, I still go back to the Javaris Crittenden disaster, which tangentially oh, yes. oh. involved Gilbert Arenas because it was it was a crime of players against players, which usually doesn't happen. Players like you know when they choose to do a crime, they usually choose more vulnerable people. Baylor University disagrees, sir. They they also choose to do it somewhere other than the workplace. That one was right there in the room. And I always go back to the other 12 guys in the room watching Crittenden and and Gilbert. And I'm going, oh my God, I'm going to be collateral damage. I'm going to be I'm going to be in the fifth graph of a story about how a team shot itself to death. And it just it's the most fascinating to me because it's about something incredibly trivial. I mean, because most crime is like, it's serious stuff because there's usually an undeserving victim. Here, who do you pick? Yeah, everyone was an asshole. Yeah, I mean, just... Beefing over fucking plane gambling, too. Yeah, no, that's yeah. the one. I mean, there are ones where guys are, you know, I mean, well, Crittenden's in jail now because he was a bad guy. But... Most of the time when you hear about players going off the rails, it's you just wince because you can see a victim and you just go, that's awful. In this one, it just, it happened in all the ways that it never happens. It's 
No, we're going to keep it here in the locker room because what you what you shoot here stays here. <laughs> right. It's a sanctuary. It's an yeah. armed. It's a sanctuary where everyone is armed. So it's like I think that's John Wick is like it's basically that sort of scenario. Yeah. If I if I remember correctly, Ray, uh, Crittenden and Gilbert Arenas had a beef over like gambling losses one suffered on the plane, and then Crittenden, I believe it was Crittenden laid out a bunch of guns in the locker room for Gilbert and said, pick one, that's the one I'm going to shoot you with. Is that, do I have that right? Do I remember that correctly, Ray? I think that's, that's essentially it. I, I do this but, with my kids Gilbert, all the time. But Gilbert, as I recall, had his own. <laughs> yeah, he had a big gold Desert Eagle, like a souvenir gun. I don't have to him. pick a gun from you. I yeah. can just go to my arsenal. He hit yeah. him with the, that's not a knife, this is a knife yeah. uh, in the locker room. You think I don't room, come to work want. prepared? <laughs> Roth, yeah. uh, the one I remember is Rams cornerback Daryl Henley going to jail for cocaine trafficking, where it was, and he was while he was a player, and then the FBI was like, actually, this guy's a major drug trafficker, and so I really respected Daryl Henley for not only being able to play professional football, but like Deion Sanders also dabble in another sport, the sport of drug running. Oh, this, it's the sport of kings. That's yeah, right. uh, Sam Hurd also was good with that on the oh, Cowboys yeah. thing. Oh, shit. And Heard was great, too, because it was like he was a pretty marginal NFL player who was clearly like thinking about life after football. Yes. And the way that he wanted to do that was by being like the dude from Miami Vice. That's like, I'm a disco guy. Like he wanted to be just like a serious mid to high level drug trafficker. I remember that case involved him meeting somebody at a it was like a Morton's Steakhouse in like Fort Worth was where like one of the places that he was uh, wiretapped. All class. Seems like he was living an interesting life. The one that I uh, just again to shout out um, New Jersey and New Jersey basketball. Chris Gatling, uh, his this was a post playing career thing. Just a weird credit card fraud, kind of like George Santosian levels of like uh, he was just a volume guy charging people's credit cards for shit that uh, he did not sell them. I guess it doesn't count as much if it happens after you're done playing, but I have to respect uh, that. He, you know, never stopped being a max effort guy, even after making a few million dollars and an all-star team um, that he just p- moved to Arizona and started trying to get people for like low five figure amounts. See, now our better athletes like Brett Favre, they go up to the much more advanced levels of white collar crime once they retire. Yeah. And that I think is where that's Texting the, the governor being like, want truck? Question mark, question mark. Yeah. Yeah, you gotta do it right. Wendling a state government is that's peanuts. Anybody yeah. can do that. It did the that was the thing from that the big takeaway from the Favre Mississippi corruption trial was that that was training wheel shit. It was like fraud so simple, even Brett Favre could do it. <laughs> which is really you know, you gotta tip your cap there. Did make me want to do some crimes in Mississippi. Eric Silver is our producer. Brandon Google is our editor. Our theme song is by Kirk Hamilton. Ads and production services are by Multitude. And you, fair listener, you can subscribe to Defector.com. Right now. Just go to Defector, hit that subscribe button. You can also email us at distraction at Defector.com or even call us at 909-726-3720 and leave a message. That's 909-Panera0. Ray, well you were a fabulous guest for our NBA preview. I think we learned a lot and uh, and we only talked briefly about drug trafficking and afflicted body parts, so that was pretty good. 
we did it. I, I think next time we should talk more about afflicted body parts and less about basketball. It's mm-hmm. a long season. We'll definitely get there. Yeah, your wish is my command. We'll see everybody next week. Goodbye. Thanks. Bye.